What up, Rinku Army, and welcome back to a brand new episode of the Square Circle Podcast. I am your host, Marie Shadows, and on this episode of the Square Circle Podcast, I will be going over the Road to Dantaku series by New Japan Pro Wrestling. I have lost count what night this is because the other nights were definitely not televised. And I think New Japan Pro Wrestling is missing out on more content, more stories for their guys, just more layers to the overall product by not televising the shows that are not near the Tokyo, Osaka, Hiroshima areas that are usually there for the wrestling shows. So I will not be going over the non-televised shows, but I will give a awesome shout out to Gabriel Kidd, who got two victories over Yuya and Suji on those non-televised shows. So congratulations to him. And I am super proud that he got those victories because I was saying last in the other episode that he needed some wins under his belt and he finally got some wins. And these are important wins against his young lion brethren and it was really good to know that he defeated both of them he has a new finisher which is a double underhook suplex which looks really good and is made for him so congratulations to Gabriel Kid on picking up both of those victories over Yuya and Suji I really wish I could have watched it so that way I could review it and talk about it but you know New Japan Pro Wrestling just televises shows in the same areas that they normally do. So for this New Japan Pro Wrestling Road to Dantaku series show happened yesterday on April 26th at Hiroshima Sun Plaza Hall. And it was a pretty good card from second match to all the way to the end. I didn't really watch the first match. Half the time with these tours they do repeat a lot of the matches and there's only slight subtleties in the layers of creative storytelling when it comes to their overall feuds when we get to like the big pay-per-view-esque type of New Japan Pro Wrestling shows. So let's just jump right into the second match of the Road to Dantaku series. We had a six-man tag, and I feel like I've been seeing this match all tour, and you guys know exactly how I feel about it. We're almost to the finish line, heading into May, so that way these teams can definitely settle their differences in singles action, and maybe in tag team action when we get there. We have... Doki teaming up with Zack Sabre Jr. and Tai Chi taking on Jado, Loa, and Tama. This one was a little bit different only because the finish of the match was basically a DQ. It got thrown out. G.O.D. threw out the match, which is very interesting in the whole story development. I don't know how the finish of the other matches went on the non-televised Road to Dantaku series. But all of that has led up to April 26th between these six men in this match. So Jado, Tama, and Loa were very dominant in this match. And I still have to praise the fact that 
Tungaloa and Zack Zabel Jr. have the best chemistry in the ring. And I can't wait to see their singles match come May 3rd for Wrestling Dantaku, which will be a very interesting match. And of course, you guys know that I feel like Zack is probably not going to get the victory over Loa. So that way, Dangerous Techers does not challenge G.O.D. for those IWGP Heavyweight Tag Team Championships. G.O.D. was definitely taking advantage of Tai Chi as well. All three of them attacking Tai Chi as well. And then Doki comes in to try to save the match. And this is where the momentum changes. And this is where the match got thrown out. So it is Tamatanga taking on Doki. Doki does a hurricanrana and that sends Tamatanga out to the outside. And Tamatanga began to search for something in particular underneath the ring. And Doki comes at Tamatanga with a full speed of a tope suicida. However, Doki's head hit the ladder that Tama had and took a very scary bump. And Doki was out for the rest of the match. Tamatanga comes in with the ladder and starts hitting Tai Chi with it. Tai Chi at the time was having Jado in a submission and the referee didn't see the amount of times that Jado tapped out. So Tai Chi was wondering what was going on. And Tama decided to hit Tai Chi with the ladder to prove his point that when come to their ladder match on May 3rd for Iron Fingers, that Tai Chi will not be getting the Iron Fingers. And probably Tai Chi will feel a lot more of that ladder come on May 3rd. So the match got thrown out. G.O.D. said their post-match comments reminding both Zach and Tai Chi that they will not be winning their respective matches and that they will not be challenging G.O.D. for those championship titles. And Tangaloa is a very underrated promo talker. And that's what I like about the dynamic of G.O.D. is that sometimes Loa takes the approach to have the post-match comments and then the backstage comments is all on Tama. And then sometimes they switch it up where both of them are talking backstage. But Loa is a very underrated promo talker. So G.O.D. does not pick up the victory in this match. That gives the victory over to Tai Chi, Zack Sabre Jr. and Doki because of the DQ. Now, moving on to the third match, which is Chaos versus Bullet Club. What road tour wouldn't be complete without having Chaos versus Bullet Club? It had all the shenanigans as we saw previously with the spot of pulling everyone's hair and beard this time around, I didn't see Tanahashi try to pull out the Blade Runner out on Gato, which he's been doing that for a while. And then you have Evil coming in to not only protect Switchblade's finisher, the Blade Runner, but also protect Bullet Club as a whole until we get Jay White coming back and taking that never open weight championship title off of Tanahashi which by the way if you guys are not following Jay White on Twitter you guys should he was going back and forth with Tanahashi to increase the hype between their match Tana had tweeted that he just got to the hotel and took a picture of the menu and the header on the menu had three amazing looking burgers and if I was Tanahashi I would definitely indulge in a burger 
And in comes Jay White with his tweet, his quoted tweet to Tanahashi saying, calm down, fat boy, which by now, if you've paid attention to Jay White's career, whatever he tweets, you could definitely read it in his own voice, which makes it that much fun. And then Tanahashi replies with a picture of him being once fat, which I can't really think of Tana being fat in the years that I followed him, but he has a picture of it. And he basically tells Jay White, I was once fat. Now I'm different. To which Jay White replies to Tanahashi with a three second clip of Jay White having Tanahashi in the TTO, which is the Tanahashi tap out. And you have Kevin Kelly in the background screaming that Jay White has done it. Jay White has beaten Tanahashi. And this whole Twitter exchange is just super funny to me. And that was a great way to start off my morning to see that on Twitter. And then, of course, you know, fans get stupid with their comments. And, of course, Jay White always puts them in their place. And I'm like, why would you go after a guy who has better wit and quicker wit than all of us combined? Like, why do that to yourself? Anyway, come May 3rd on Wrestling Dontaku. Jay White is going to be our new never open weight champion. I still think that Tanahashi having the belt is very boring at this time. And I only think it's because he's been put in these very huge eight man tags between him repping chaos, going out the bullet club and the only strain that keeps him tied to any of this is that Gato is one constant. I wish that Tanahashi would have had a lot more defenses for that never open weight championship title. So that way the prestige is there and is slowly climbing and building. And that means that Jay White would definitely have to work a little bit harder to get the belt off for Tanahashi. Because after a while, when you win matches at the matches of your champion, I would just think that it adds a little bit more to the star power that one has when carrying the championship title so for the bullet club versus chaos match dick togo picked up the victory over yano and now we come to the fourth match which is a tag team match we have bushi teaming up with shingo to take on will osprey and jeff cobb and this tag match was amazing United Empire has definitely stepped up throughout this whole entire tour. And unfortunately, again, for those non-televised shows, I couldn't watch United Empire content and talk about it on the podcast. So let's dive into this particular match. What I really love about the dynamic between the United Empire is that they work really well together as a unit, whether that's tag team six man or even a full on eight man match depending on what is needed for the card and for that day osprey has very good chemistry with all of these men and jeff cobb also has great chemistry with all the men in united empire and jeff cobb is always in the right place at the right time for particular moves and particular setups which brings him to be a wonderful asset 
to the team and be that muscle and power that any team needs in order to flourish. You always have your guys that have a specific role. And in United Empire, the four of them have their specific roles. But at the end of the day, they all mesh well together and they all can definitely complement each other. You know, Will Ospreay definitely has the muscle tone and, you know, Will Ospreay has the muscle tone and the muscle strength, but he's not going to stand in the middle of the ring and become an immovable object. How Jeff Cobb would be if someone's coming at him to do a shoulder tackle and that dude falls on the floor. You have Ospreay's gymnastics working really well with Jeff Cobb's strength and ring awareness when he needs to be there right on time, right on cue for a lot of things. So the highlight of this match was definitely when Osprey was going up against Shingo. Shingo throws him into the ropes, gets him into a fireman's carry, throws him over and thinks that he's going to land on the mat. However, Jeff Cobb is right there. Saves Will Osprey and helps Osprey does the Oz cutter to Shingo. And that was the most amazing thing that I've seen. And I think it's criminal that the fans did not clap as loud as they could have for that spot. That spot was beautiful. Very well executed. Very well done. First time that I've ever seen something like that. It was really, really well done. But then again, when Shingo Obushi were to do a move, they would get a bigger, louder pop than Osprey and Jeff Cobb. And I'm not sure if that's because Osprey was like, don't cheer for me, don't do this, don't do that, playing into the heel persona. But when you see something as brand new and innovative as what Jeff and Osprey pulled off, that deserves a round of applause for itself. So this podcast acknowledges that cool ass move that happened. And again, I'm going to have to praise the fact that Shingo and Osprey has this undying chemistry. And it's very great to watch in the ring. Every time that Shingo comes into the ring, he is very explosive. He has these very powerful moves that don't miss a beat on his opponents him and osprey give off very good vibes and i can't wait till may 4th when they go one-on-one for that iwgp world heavyweight championship title and see the result of it obviously we know that will osprey is definitely keeping the championship title they're probably not going to give it to shingo and if they do, well, then we're going to be strapped in for another journey and another ride. That's going to be quite interesting to see where he's going to lead New Japan Pro Wrestling. But right now, Will Ospreay and his team, the United Empire, is way too hot. They're way too good. And I don't see Will Ospreay dropping that title anytime soon. He's doing really well as being the head of New Japan Pro Wrestling. And in this match, Will Ospreay got the pinfall over Bushi. And I've seen on Twitter that throughout the whole entire tour, Bushi has been the fall guy for either losing to Jeff Cobb and or Ospreay. Ospreay this time, but I think more times Jeff Cobb. But Bushi has been the fall guy to protect Shingo. 
And I think that's important because if Osprey were to pin Shingo, all of our pre-formulated mindsets that have been watching professional wrestling for a very long time would definitely say that when May 4th happens on Wrestling Dantaku, Shingo is going to be taking the title off of Osprey. That's just how the formula has been. That's what WWE has done for years. And that's what we kind of remember. So I think it's important that New Japan Pro Wrestling stays on track to have certain matches like this on the road to whichever show that's going to be happening as a big fight feel to have the challenger be protected until we get to that main event time for both of them to shine. Because every time that Shingo and Osprey get into the ring and they have those near falls and those false finishes, I know that I'm popping at every second to be like, oh my God, that was so close. Imagine if Shingo got the victory over Osprey or if Osprey got the victory over Shingo, that would definitely push the narrative in a different direction than what I think both guys would want. Right now, they're sort of equally matched. But then again, Osprey might have some more tricks up his sleeve and maybe even be one step ahead of Shingo. Or Shingo might be one step ahead of Osprey when we get to May 4th. See, it's up in the air. If one of them happened to have a victory over the other during this tour, then we'll be having a different conversation. But right now, I could just speculate for what's going to happen. So like I mentioned, Osprey got the victory over Bushi and the storytelling is now just a little bit elevated because Osprey does look in the direction of Shingo to remind him that this is going to be you come May 4th. Our next match is a special singles match that had Sonata versus Hinare. Hinare had chosen Sonata to become his first victim on his journey to right all the wrongs that has happened in his past. And I've praised Hinari before on the podcast episodes. He has been doing really well ever since turning heel. And he definitely looks a lot more comfortable in his wrestling ability and his talking ability too. I guess once a gamer, always a gamer. Hinari has definitely opened the eyes to a lot of people and I've seen it that he's gaining fans not only on Twitter but also on Reddit and it's really nice to see for a change. I like to contribute to helping fans find new wrestlers to support and I really hope that my podcast episodes bring that type of value to the wrestling world and the wrestling business aside from my knowledge of breaking down matches and psychology and stories and how things will play out and fantasy booking and all that. But my main priority is to make sure that these wrestlers at the end of the day get the most out of if they ever listen to my podcast episodes and if they ever want to apply it to their lives, it's all good. I was honestly looking forward to this match of Hinari versus Sonata. Hinari has definitely come a long way since being the babyface that he tried to be. And then him being heel just works. Sonata is a very talented wrestler. And the only time that I got hyped for Sonata was when 
It was Sonata versus Ishii during the New Japan Cup. Ishii and Sonata staring each other down without doing much promo work says a lot in professional wrestling. And I think that is a lost art. Very tiny, but it's very monumental. And wrestlers should probably take notice of that. If you could get a fan to be hyped over staring contests and feeling the tension and knowing that that match between two good wrestlers can be a really good match, then you've done your job. But back to Hanai versus Sonata. At first, I was like, why are these two fighting? I could accept the fact that Hinari wanted to get a win under his belt being with the United Empire and showing his worth and knowing that he's able to hold his own. But then New Japan Pro Wrestling did an exclusive, interesting, long interview with Hinari and they posted it up on their Twitter page. If you guys are not following at and JPW 1972, you guys should be doing that and definitely should be checking out that interview that Hinari did. And in that interview, which I read the whole thing, he mentioned something very interesting that I did not even know. I know a lot of wrestling history, but there was just one interesting factor that I did not know. And this is where Hinari did something smart. And not a lot of wrestlers would do this. Sometimes they will if you're paying attention to their journey and you're following whether they do an interview here, an interview there, you know, some backstage comments for this platform, that platform, that person. But Hinari actually dropped the main reason why he went after Sonata. And sometimes wrestlers just don't do that and we just get a story of this is how it happened without no actual foundation. But because of Hinari's pride in him being from New Zealand, and you could definitely see it. He's very prideful for where he's at. He had mentioned in the interview that when Sonata did the O'Connor role on him to pick up the victory during the road Two series, Hinari felt a little bit embarrassed because I'm not sure how many of my listeners know the origin story of the O'Connell role. And if you don't, well, back in the day, really back in the day, we're talking about at least in the 50s of professional wrestling. There was a professional wrestler named Pat O'Connor, who is from New Zealand, and he is also a professional wrestler. He crossed paths with the likes of Harley Race, Vern Gagne, and even defeated his longtime ne- and even defeated his longtime nemesis Killer Kowalski. And he just became really well known. He won a bunch of championships in AWA, also in NWA as well. So he's really known, and so. Coming up with the O'Connor role to probably win all of his matches for that to happen to Hinare when Sonata did it to him was like a slap in the face. And I thought that was a very interesting tidbit in his story with Sonata because Sonata wasn't really doing much of the talking. It was always Hinari feeding us story bits of why he's going after Sonata and doing all of this 
And then when he reveals that information, it makes the story a little bit more better. And it makes the match a little bit more hype because you kind of wonder if Sonata will do the same thing again and get Hinari off guard. Or if he did do the O'Connor role to Hinari, how will Hinari counter it? Hinari does this simple heel hook as a submission. And the way that he applies it to the opponent always looks very devastating. Looks like it really does hurt. And I think that's because of his body and his size and the way that he torques it to make it feel that way. So every time that he does that, I sort of pop for that move. And that has quickly become one of my favorite submissions to see. The pace of the match was really good. It was really fantastic. And the Japanese commentators are right that Hinari has definitely shown a better pacing in his matches. He's not brash or explosive or wanting to finish things quickly. He's taking his time. He's being calculated with his moves. He's making sure that the next move that he does to his opponent will probably put him away. In this match, there were times where I thought that certain moves would have put Sonata away, but that wasn't the case. And there was one particular move in this match that Hinari did to Sonata, which I clearly popped for. So we do know that Sonata has the skull and submission, and he's been using that on Hinari this whole entire tour. So I had tweeted out that if Hinari can always find a way to break out of that submission, what's the point of having it if it's not going to put away your opponent? Like Sonata needed to get like a whole new finisher and obviously, the finish of this match was totally different than winning via submission. Anyway, Hinari then decided to counter Skulls and with his own Skulls and on Sonata. And I totally popped for that because I wasn't expecting Hinari to do the move on his opponent, even though in wrestling, everyone has done that. The other cool thing, too, is that Osprey was in the corner of Hinare, so his excitement also got me excited at home while I watched this match, and that made it that much better. It made it a feel-good match and definitely a big-time feel match, even though there was no championship title attached to it. Like, we know that Hinare will have championship opportunities down the line, and I would definitely love to see Hinari challenge Jay White when Jay White gets the never open weight championship title. Anyway, back to the match. Hinari and Sonata had picked up the match heading towards the finish, and both of them were really good with counters and strikes. But in the end, Sonata did a moonsault. As his finisher to pick up the one, two, three over Hinare. And I was just like, that's not cool. I was so biased that it felt right to have Hinare win. And I think that's only because there's a lot of promise and a lot of potential with Hinare to definitely shoot for the moon and see how well he can work. In singles matches, tag matches, everything under the sun. Sonata is 
a company guy, you can definitely see it. And sometimes it feels like these guys put themselves into a comfortable box. And I know that Sonata is super talented, but I need to see more from Sonata. So that way I could be like, well, one day we should put the title on him and see how he fares. I don't know. I'm more for people that have passion and you can see that they wear their passion on their sleeve and see that they don't want to put themselves in a box to trap themselves in that box. And they want all the glory and all the gold and all the love when they're out there in the ring, putting their bodies on the line to make sure that they could be the next one in line to run with the company. If they're given the chance to wear a championship title around their shoulder, around their waist. I want to see more from Sonata because I know that he can definitely go and he definitely stepped up in this match with Hinare. Both of them making each other look like a million bucks. Thank God it was not a one-sided affair. It was really a back and forth. It was really a story of defending one's honor in the eyes of the fans of who's a really better wrestler. And Hinari is there. Sonata just had a better night. And Sonata managed to get the victory over Hinari. And Hinari is still learning. And his backstage comments was very interesting. His mindset is definitely different ever since joining up with United Empire and being under the wing of Will Ospreay. Even though Hinari suffered a loss against Sonata, his mindset was that him and Sonata are one and one. So that means that they're going to have to have one more match to break that one win over one win. And that was a very interesting way to start off his backstage comments. He gave acknowledgement to the loss, but not in the way that he would have when he was a babyface. When he's a heel, he understands that in fights, you're not always going to win it. And he's looking for the day that Sonata versus Hinare is revisited. But this time there needs to be a winner. And of course, I'm going to announce the winner on my podcast episode right here, right now, which at a future date, Hinare is going to go over Sonata. Hinari is going to win against Sonata. Nothing against Sonata. Sonata is a very talented wrestler. He has years under his belt, but Hinari over Sonata for a future win. And then Hinari looks to the 29th, where it's going to be him and Jeff Cobb teaming up to take on Tanahashi and Kota Ibushi. If you haven't seen the self-proclaimed god of New Japan Pro Wrestling since his dethronement by Will Ospreay. And so Kota Ibushi returns to New Japan Pro Wrestling in his hometown. But that's not what's important. In Hinari's backstage comments, he reminds Tanahashi that he's no longer a young boy to Tanahashi. And that definitely when come for this tag match... Tanahashi is definitely going to see and feel a whole new Hinari under United Empire. This tag match is definitely going to soften up Tanahashi and indirectly allow Jay White to pick up the victory over Tanahashi come May 3rd. 
yes, I know I'm pushing that way too much, but it's going to happen. We definitely need someone new to carry the belt. And Jay White is the perfect one to do it, especially if he wants to solidify himself in the conversation of being the only New Japan Pro Wrestling wrestler to have four belts under his career. And then we set up for Hinari versus Jay White. Anyway, Sonata versus Hinari was definitely a really good match. It was wonderfully put together. It was wonderfully done. Both men deserve the praise that we as fans give them. And there's only going to be greater things for Hinari in the future coming up, especially him being at the Empire. And then whatever happens after that happens. But it was really great to see and it was really great to talk about it on this podcast episode. And as an honorable mention, just very quickly, the main event had Naito versus Great Okan. That was a really good match, too, despite all their interesting banter back and forth. I think Naito has good chemistry with almost about anyone. And Naito really puts the wrestling first and you could definitely see it. Great Okan was definitely able to show people what he's capable of because I don't think a lot of people understand Great Okan as it is. Especially trying not to stereotype roll him into what he would fit into. But he has definitely held his own against Naito and that was one hell of a main event. Even though Great Okan did not pick up the victory over Naito. It still gets an honorable mention and that will close out this podcast episode talking about whichever night we are on to the road to Dantaku. All right, ladies and gentlemen, that has been my assessment for April 26, 2021 of New Japan Pro Wrestling, the road to Dantaku, which was in Hiroshima. From top to bottom, it was a really solid card. I really appreciate the United Empire stepping up during the pandemic and during this tour. And they have been really great to watch and really great to comment on. I honestly love what I do. I love watching professional wrestling. I love talking about it. And I also love hearing from you, my listeners, my fans. And there's a simple, easy way for you guys to definitely show some love to this podcast episode. This podcast episode will be available on the new and open for viewing www.ravagelands.com. As I said in the previous podcast episodes, Ravage Lands Production is the first ever project I worked on. I am the behind the scenes person, the manager person, the social media person behind that. It is a trio family project where it's myself Ravage Dragon, also Mr. Too Good JD Alpha. We share our combined interest of wrestling, gaming, and writing. And you guys could go visit the website and definitely listen to this episode on there as well. You guys can also head to anchor.fm forward slash square circle podcast. That is the official home of the podcast. And Anchor does a wonderful job of distributing the podcast episode to Spotify and Apple Podcasts. So if you guys love Spotify and or Apple, just search for squared circle podcast and it will be there. 
And if you guys want to take it a step further, head over to Twitter where you could chat with me all day long about wrestling. And guess what, guys? Twitter finally gave me Twitter spaces. So I might be opening Twitter spaces up soon so we could talk about wrestling. You are more than welcome to join the space. It will not be limited to anyone or everyone. So head over to Twitter tweet me at marie underscore shadows so we could talk about wrestling 24 7 and i really hope that you guys really did enjoy this new japan pro wrestling review of the road to dantaku series i really wish new japan pro wrestling can understand that american fans really want more and i definitely want more new japan pro wrestling content especially those non-televised shows because i really do love their product but I don't know if they understand that if they get more eyes on their product, they make more money. Probably they do. I'll still continue to review New Japan Pro Wrestling no matter what. It's always going to be Bullet Club, United Empire, and New Japan. So thank you guys for listening. Thank you guys for sharing and loving. And you have been listening to an episode of the Square Circle Podcast. I am your host, Marie Shadows. And I'll see you guys in the next one.